I'd like to welcome you to our inside service this morning at Gaspel Baptist. We're going to begin. Now, there are different stipulations, but we're going to ask uh, that if you would like to sing along, that you put your mask on. Because uh, the regulations say that if you're going to sing, you need to be 12 foot away from the nearest person. So Sarah is not going to sing. Yes, she is. She's got her mask. We're going to sing. Our, hey, Amanda, come in here, girl. Good to see you. The Lawrence family. I hope Dad's better. Good, good. Hi. How you do? Yeah. Is that Rosalind in there all grown up? Hi, Rosalind. Welcome this morning. We're going to sing to begin with, Are You Washed in the Blood? Now, if you want to sing along, some of you just naturally want to do that, we ask that you put your mask on. You say, but Ronnie, you don't have yours on. I'm supposed to be 12 foot away from you. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting it is grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Will your soul be ready for the mansion's bright and be washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean, or be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Brad Marler is going to pray for us this morning. <clears throat> Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this day. It's so great to be back in your house, Lord. Just uh, thank you for everyone that's here. We ask your blessings on them, that they uh, that they will be uh, stay healthy through all this. There's so much been going on, Lord, but we want to take the time to thank you for uh, things you bless us with every day. Sometimes we don't think about it, but you do, and we just thank you for it. Most of all, for your son, Jesus, Lord. Lord, be with us in our service today. We pray that the Holy Spirit will be moving, that we will... Uh, hear your word, and not only hear it, but be faithful doers, Lord. Just uh, watch over us, keep us safe, and forgive us when we fail you. In your name I pray. Amen. In church, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, greetings to those who are over in the Family Life Center, uh, Christian Fellowship Hall, and uh, we're glad that you all are here. Uh, two or three things of, of note. We appreciate your being here and the social distancing, the things we have to do. Uh, realize that uh, hopefully we'll get through this and be back together in one setting. Uh, we're going to count the numbers at the end of the month, and if we can fit in one building, we'll meet up there. But for right now, this is where we are. This is live streaming, and so I have one announcement to make without mentioning any names. But if you remember, uh, has it been two years ago that we hosted the missionary family up in the parsonage? And they, they are back on the field. Uh, they have now added a child to what they already had. And uh, they are uh, in need of some funds to help with a school teacher to help uh, school their children where they're at. Uh, they're in a place where they don't have readily available for that. And we're going to be taking up a love offering. Now, we're going to send that through the IMB more than likely uh, so that it gets directly to them. But all you have to do if you want to give towards that missionary family that many of you know from a couple of years ago is to write it in the memo of the check for the missionary family. Okay, and So if you want to do that, be planning on that. We'll be taking up that offering through the month of October. Okay, And so if you didn't come prepared today, then come prepared, pray about it, and come next week. If you didn't get to give your offering when you came in today... Um, the deacons will have buckets at the exits because you came in through one door, you can exit through these two here or back there again. And so we're glad that you're here. Be praying for the different things. I said we were going to vote on the budget this Sunday. Uh, we decided that we didn't get it out in time, and so we're going to vote on it next Sunday. We'll mail it probably tomorrow. I'm meeting with the nominating committee tonight and trying to finish up that so we can do one mail out and you can see everything in one thing, and then we'll vote on it at the end of the service next week. Okay, and so we're going to do that uh, for sure this time, um, unless God hinders us. Okay, and so be aware of that. Be praying about the budget as it, it'll come to you this week. You look it over and be ready to do that after you're prayed up. Welcome. Sarah McFarland's back in the country. She wants to do a reading for you this morning. Yay! Yes. Come on now, you can give her a nice hand. Aren't you glad to see her? They're just glad to see my hat. There you go. I am too, Sarah. I have a prayer for October. Generous Father, things are shaping up. Bushels, baskets of garnet apples, pumpkin pyramids, cornstalk teepees, row upon row of jewel-colored fruits and vegetables in gleaming glass preserving in glass preserving jars 
if you can find them. Lord, as I store up these provisions, let me also make room for the spiritual plenty that you provide, a harvest of faith laid by to feed my soul when winter comes. Amen. Did you notice that Sarah Dye is having a birthday today? Happy birthday, Sarah. Chris Barkley will have a celebrate his birthday on Monday, the 5th. Amber Hood will have a birthday on the 6th of October. Happy anniversary, Ronnie and Judy Slade. Judy said, oh my goodness, I about forgot that. Thank you, Ronnie, for reminding me. Uh, Jesse Dutton is going to be celebrating a birthday on the 8th. Rusty Brame. Rusty, I hope you and Jeff are over there in the Christian Fellowship Hall. And Brad and Sarah Marler, happy anniversary, Brad, will be on the 9th. Brad, you don't have to give me any extra money now. I just uh, reminded you. Don't let him forget it, Sarah, will you? Okay. Uh, now listen, it's going to take a little coordination, but... Uh, we put your mask on and sing happy birthday with me. We didn't do it last week. Yeah. Happy birthday to you. Hi, Rosalind. You sure look pretty today. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Now I'm going to sing for you freely, freely. Trevor, good to see you and Karen. You're looking good, Trevor. You're a miracle, my son. God forgave my sin in Jesus' name. I've been born again. In Jesus' name, and in Jesus' name, I come to you to share his love as he told me to. He said, freely, freely, you have received, freely, freely. Because you believe, others will know that I live. All power is given in Jesus' name, in earth and heaven, in Jesus' name, and in Jesus' name. I come to you to share his power as he told me to. He said freely, freely, you have received freely. 
It. I am out of shape <laughs> on my singing. I miss Wednesday night services and Sunday night services, and, and I sing all the time, but not in extended periods like we've been doing. I asked Cheryl Ramsey to sing this morning, and Cheryl called me on Friday and said that she did not feel well, asked if I would cover for her, and so I want to sing for you this morning, Heaven Will Be My Home. Help me reach the goal. 
Thank you, Larry Rose. Brother Gary. Thank you, Brother Ronnie. I like that song. Let's open our Bibles this morning to uh, Jeremiah 18. Thank you once again to all those who make these services possible and uh, for your understanding. I'm still praying that God will end this pandemic in a way that will glorify Him and that uh, He will send revival to our land and across the world. I hope you're joining me in that prayer. Jeremiah chapter 18. We're going to begin with verse 1. Look just at the first four verses. All right. And... uh, I don't know if I entitled this correctly, but I entitled it The Divine Dreamer. And notice what we see in Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning verse 1. The word of the Lord, which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house. And there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the day just to be able to be here, to have the health to be here, to live in a free land. We pray for those that are sick and afflicted with our own church, for those that have been attacked by Satan. And ask that you would uh, be with them and help them. Father, for those around our land that are uh, suffering. And Father, for those that might uh, be lonely during this time of, of social separation. We just ask you administer them in a special way. And Father, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word. Let it go forth in power and let it accomplish what you want it to accomplish. And lead us to make the decisions, Lord God, Holy Spirit, that would honor and glorify the name of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. American poet Edward Markham was once quoted as saying, All that we now enjoy was once but a dream. What he meant by that was when we see the modern inventions, the conveniences that we sort of take for granted, they, they didn't used to exist 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. They came about because somebody had a dream, somebody had a vision, somebody had a thought that they developed into what we now enjoy. There were some examples that he gave and some of them went like this. There was a young redhead man who sat down. It was uh, writing and he dreamed of freedom. And he later became a president of the United States. But back then he wasn't old enough to even serve as president of the United States. But because he had dreamed of freedom, he wrote this document. His name was Thomas Jefferson. The document was the Declaration 
of Independence, which a lot of scholars say is one of the most beautiful, well-written documents in the world. Another young man walked his native Germany, and he said that in the trees and the wind blowing and the streams that he found in the forest of his native Germany, he could hear the music of God, and he wanted to write music that would last. His name was Beethoven, Ludwig von Beethoven. He was a great dreamer. And even though he lost his hearing at 42, he continued to write because he could still hear the music of God in his mind from his youth when he would wander through the forest. Another fella brought about the steam engine. It revolutionized American industry. He was a great dreamer. His name was James Watts, and he told people that the machine they saw before them as it worked had been in his mind for years and years as he tinkered with it and toyed with it and prayed about it until it became real. This morning we look at a passage and we catch just a glimpse of God. God was a divine dreamer. He brought about his creation. He brought about mankind. He brought about our salvation in Jesus Christ. He provided these things and all the things that we enjoy came from the mind of God, from the heart of God himself. We come to a section of scripture when Jeremiah the prophet is discouraged. He's called the weeping prophet because he wept over his nation and their sin, their coming destruction and the exile. But he needed encouragement and so he receives a word from the Lord. Now the Lord said, go to the potter's house and I, you will hear from me. Now he didn't say go to the temple where the worship was. Go where there's a great study of my word or where there's beautiful music. He said, go to the potter's house. An unusual situation. But there, he learned something new about God. There, he saw God at work. There, he heard a word from the Lord. And basically what I wanted us to understand is what I think Jeremiah came to understand. That God is in control of his creation to ultimately bring about His eternal purposes. God is in control of His creation to ultimately bring about His eternal purposes. And so we see, or I see, three things in these few verses about the divine dreamer. The first is in verses 1 through 3. We're going to read it again. Notice God's purposeful creation. Then the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. And I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the will. As I said, Jeremiah is discouraged right now. If you read these verses before, he's discouraged. Most scholars believe that by this point in his life, Jeremiah had been preaching God's word faithfully to this nation to get them to turn around, to get them to repent before it was too late for at least 25 years. Now think about that. He'd been preaching to his people for 25 years, and yet they were in worse shape now than they were 25 years before. Yet he continued to preach as the Lord told him to preach. And his preaching was, repent before it's too late. Even at this time, if they would have repented, God would have relented. 
So you read on in chapter 18. Even at this time, if they were repented, they would not face the judgment that was coming in the form of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar destroying their city and leading them into exile for 70 years. But they wouldn't have any part of it. As you read on down in chapter 18, you get that point. So they wouldn't do it. Okay? And the Hebrew words mean that they didn't want to. They weren't going to. There was no way it was going to happen. Sounds a little bit like our nation, unfortunately. But Jeremiah loved his people. He didn't want to see them hurt. And he was desperately seeking a word from God. And so he says, go to the potter's house and you will hear from me. This is really an acted out parable that he learns of God and learns some new things of God. He's got to go to the potter's house. And there he makes a discovery. He hears from God. Now the potter's house was an unlikely place to to hear from God. Think about it. This potter's house is probably a little bit south in the southern reaches of Jerusalem. That's where a lot of the pottery was made. It would have, part of it would be a house and the other part would be a factory where the potter would make his wares to sell. We need to understand that potters were held in high esteem of a lot of kings and rich folks, especially if they could make beautiful pottery. They often subsidized the potters, and they would get the best work from the potters. But there he is at the potter's house. There he is in that factory and house mixed together. You need to understand that the location south of Jerusalem there was in the Valley of Hinnon. Now, if you read your Old Testament, you know that valley. The Old Testament describes it as a place where the first human sacrifice in Israel as a nation was made. They followed the gods of Malak and and the god of Baal, and they offered their sons and daughters up to a false idol by butchering there in that valley. In the New Testament, Jesus mentions the valley of Hinnon, and he said, hell is like Hinnon is what he says in the Greek. A place where there's ceaseless burning, where the fire won't go out because all the trash through the centuries that have been discarded in the valley, they use as a dump to burn, and it would just burn slowly underneath, and it never went out. The smell was always there. At night, it was a, a gross, smelly, dark place, and Jesus said, that's what hell's going to be like, where the fire never goes out, where the worm never is extinguished. It's a place of garbage and refuge and flies and stink and darkness. And smell and heat from the fires. He didn't say Hinnon was hell. He said hell will be like that. And then he described it more and said it's worse. But see what I think Jeremiah really learned was that God has creative power. And he uses that for his divine purposes. And he wants to work through us. There's the potter. And he's making something on the wheel. The wheel would be a large round stone at the bottom that's heavier, connected with a long piece of wood. Now, this isn't the technical term. It would be like an axle. And he would put the lighter piece of wheel on the top, and he would spin it with his foot, and there he would mold the clay and make the pottery. 
And he watches that potter's expert hands as he's making it from his mind, his creative power to what it's supposed to look like and what it's supposed to be. Do we understand that? Do we understand that that's what God did? In Genesis 2-7, it tells us about him making man. He said, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Do we understand that? Isaiah 64, verse 8, also talks about that. Isaiah says this, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter, and we are the work of your hands. It's creative work. I want you to think that the potter makes many different kinds of pottery as he wills. God makes many different kinds of people as he wills. The lesson, first of all, is that God makes as he wills. Do you understand that? God does what is his divine will for his divine purpose. The second lesson is that he's purposeful. Do we understand that God has a purpose for our lives? Not just preachers, not just music pastors, youth pastors, not just deacons. God has a purpose for each life that he makes. That is one of the reasons, one of many reasons we believe that abortion is wrong. Because we're destroying God's purposeful creation. God has a purpose for you. That purpose leads to life and to happiness and to joy. Uh, that purpose gives life meaning. That purpose means that it gives us substance. We're not just here as some kind of animal that evolved through a freak accident of nature. We're not just here because of that. But God made us individually. That's why the Bible says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In the womb you knitted my bones together. Before my days were, and they hadn't had any of them yet, you wrote them down in your book. God is purposeful in his creation. Romans chapter 9 talks about that. In Romans chapter 9, beginning with verse 22. The Apostle Paul says it this way. What if God, wanting to make show his wrath and to make his power known, endured much long-suffering, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy he prepared beforehand for glory, even us to be called. God is purposeful in his creation. That means we need to praise him. It means that he has eternal purposes for your life and for my life. Now, I want you to hear that. You matter to God. You have a place in God's kingdom if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And he has a special work prepared just for you and just for me. And you need to find that purpose to find life and happiness and purpose. We also need to remember as we live day by day in the midst of everything that happens, good and bad, that we weren't created for time. Time tends to rule our day. We were created for eternity by an eternal God to spend eternity with Him because He loves us. And He gave His Son for us. That was His purposeful creation and we were created for eternity and we need to seek His 
purpose, and that means something that most Americans don't like to do. That means I give control of God to God of my life. Most of us want to be the captain of our own destiny, the, uh, the one who we do what we want to do. We make our own way. We're strong. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And nothing could be a bigger lie from Satan than that. If you think you're in control, wait a little while and God will show you how foolish you are. In a moment, our health can change for the worst. In a moment, that which we hold dear can be taken away. In a moment, the things we thought were stable can be turned upside down in this world. But our God is immutable. His purpose stands. He does not change. He has a purpose for our lives. And we should praise him for that and say, thank you that I wasn't just created to live here and die and that's the end. I was created for eternity to have fellowship with you. If I will but turn and repent of my sins and accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So we have God's purposeful creation. But here in this text, I also see sins perverted corruption. Sins perverted corruption. It says in the first part of verse 4, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. The potter is spinning that clay. He's making a... A pot, he's making a vase, he's making a pitcher. I don't know, but it says the vessel is marred. So can you get the picture here of of the potter gently pressing and molding what's in his mind to make of this piece of clay? And for some reason, the vessel's marred. Maybe there's a lump there. Maybe, Maybe it just won't respond the way it's supposed to respond. And as he looks at it, he sees the defect. As he looks at it, he sees the problem. As he looks at it, it is marred in his hands. Do we understand that God is the potter and we are the vessel? For Jeremiah, it meant his nation. For us, it means us and our nation. He has a purpose and yet... It's been perverted by sin. Instead of being something useful, instead of being something beautiful, it is tragic. It will not respond to the touch of the master's hand. It will not respond to the pressure and the expert. You touch it here and it does this. You touch it there and it does that. And it will not respond. It's marred. It's sin. See, clay in that day, they had to make their own clay. It was made out of different things, a lot of times different kinds of of calcium or different types of of, uh, other types of minerals and and some dirt. And and oftentimes the potter had what they called a clay bath in his his shop, in his warehouse, in his factory. And you would mix it a certain way and you'd pour water. And then the water would drain off and evaporate. And as it gets a little bit more close to it, he would get in there and he would mash it out. The mashing was to get those lumps Correct. The mashing would just stir it all up. The mashing. If you've ever felt mashed, maybe God is stirring things up. Maybe he's mashing it out. We're the clay in his hand. And then he would take the lumps of it in however big he wanted to make and throw it on the wheel and start to spin it. 
Some vessels were marred because they didn't get all the impurities out or the lumps out. Some vessels were marred. Maybe it was too dry or too brittle. Some truths we need to know of that. If you haven't thought of them, here's the potter. Bent over the wheel. I wish I knew how to do that. Making the clay. I know I'm not doing it right, Jennifer, okay? But do you understand that when the vessel is marred, it's not the potter's fault? Have you ever thought of that truth? It's not the potter's fault. The potter's expert. The potter has been doing this for years. The potter makes his living and his livelihood this way. The potter is created enough to help others to make things that they need to make. He is useful in society. He does his work diligently. It's not his fault. It's not God's fault that we sin. Well, he just should have made us where we didn't, didn't sin. He didn't want automatons. He didn't want robots. He wanted a love relationship with us. And as hard as it is to understand, you have God's sovereignty and man's free will existing at the same time. We have to choose to repent of sin. But man doesn't do that on his own. Unless God woos him with the Holy Spirit, we choose sin. That's why the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all in the same thing. The second truth that I thought about was this. Clay in and of itself is not pretty. It's ugly, slimy. Sometimes it stinks according to what it's made out of. It's only when it's touched by the potter's hand is it useful. It's when God touches our lives that we become useful if we'll surrender. It's when God touches our lives that he makes something beautiful out of that lump of clay. But the main truth I heard, remember it's not God's fault that it was marred. The clay was marred from something within. The clay was marred from something within. We may blame God, but again in Isaiah 29 verse 16, God says, Surely you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? Uh, for the shall the thing made say to him who made it, he did not make me. Or shall the thing formed say to him, he has no understanding, he doesn't know. Isn't that what our society tries to do when we say, we know better than God. That's an old-fashioned notion about God being in control. That's an old-fashioned notion about sin. That's an old-fashioned notion about there being eternal truths, absolute truth. And so the clay is telling the potter, you were wrong. The clay is telling the potter, you don't know what you were doing. The clay is telling the potter, you have no understanding. In other words, you don't know. But the potter made us. How could he not know us? He told Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, before you were born, I knew you and appointed you. And here's Jeremiah's purpose, to be a prophet to the nations. God knows us. So it wasn't the fault of the player. Clay is not any big thing in and of itself. It's only useful when touched by the potter. And we're marred from within. 
See, God's beautiful creation, sin. We find that in Genesis chapter 3. When Eve took of the forbidden fruit, whatever it was, and offered it to Adam, and he said, sure. And it amazed me that God loved us enough. He didn't, for, he didn't forbid us at the beginning to eat from the tree of life. It was just the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We were intended to have eternal life. It was only after we uh, partook and we knew good and evil and we started progressing down that evil path that God forbade us from eating that tree of life because he did not want us to eat of it and have eternal life and get more evil and more evil and worse and worse. He wanted the best for our lives. That's how much he loved us. And ultimately, he gave us life in Jesus Christ. My goodness. As I said, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says that payment for sin is death. You see, we don't understand that the potter here has a choice. Maybe he'd been working on this clay for so long and it wouldn't yield, it wouldn't do anything. And he has a choice. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Can he just pick it up and discuss it, throw it away? He could. You'd go into the valley and there'd be clay shards. Maybe he'd go ahead and make it and it still had a defect in it. And he'd end up having to break the clay and throw the shards away. And that's one of the main ways archaeologists find different levels. Is they look for clay as people have made and they find different things. According to what the style was of that age. Thrown away. <laughs> Psalm chapter 2 verse 9. Says this. Speaking of God you shall break them with a rod of iron. Shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. <clears throat> Isaiah thirty fourteen. Says almost the same thing. He shall break it like the breaking of a potter's vessel which is broken in pieces. He shall not spare. There shall not be found among its fragments a shard to take fire from the hearth or to take water from the cistern. We could go on. The penalty of sin is separation from God. We need to make sure that we are not like a stubborn piece of clay full of impurities refusing to do God's will. But we are pliable. That he could mold us and make us, it takes surrender on a daily basis. The last thing is this. It's the good news of what Jeremiah heard. It probably surprised him. In the last part of verse 4, Jeremiah sees God's patient love. God's patient love. It says it this way. He said in verse 4, the first part we've already looked at, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again in another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. So he made another vessel as it seemed good to him to make. I see the love here. God, the potter, us, the clay. There are times when sin mars his purposeful creation. There are times when sin breaks and cracks us. And how are we to be useful from God? The same way he had to do in Israel. Sometimes he crushes it is the word there in the Hebrew. He's spinning that wheel. It won't respond. It won't do. So he just crushes it. 
and begins to make another vessel useful as he sees fit. So oh, that's pretty harsh. Not really. It shows a lot of love because he didn't throw the lump away. He didn't just say, I've had enough. He didn't say, I give up. He didn't just go home and say, you're on your own. In his love, there's another vessel. There's something else you can do. There's something else I can make of your life. And he makes it. Hmm. He makes that same vessel into another vessel, a vessel of youth as it seemed good to him to make. Here's what that means. Take heart. Our God is the God of second chances. We can mess up, and in Christ, we have forgiveness. He says it this way. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Good news. Think about it. How many times has he used mankind in a second chance? You take Moses, raised in Pharaoh's house. He was a murderer. He killed the Egyptians and had to flee for 40 years on the backside of the desert. And God still raised him up and used him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt towards the promised land. You think of David and his sins. A man after God's own heart and rebels against God, has an adulterous affair, tries to cover it up with murder. It costs the child born of their relationship his life. And the sword never leaves David's family. But God still used him. God gave him another chance. God didn't kill him. Hmm. You want a New Testament example? Think of the Apostle Peter denying that he even knew who Jesus was. Three times on the night that Jesus needed help the most, he denied him. The lead apostle said, I never knew him and said it with a curse. And then the rooster crowed. And if you read the Gospels, Jesus was looking at him and he caught Christ's eyes and it broke his heart what he had done. And he went out and wept bitterly. And evidently, he must have repented in that bitterness because later on, Jesus would reestablish him. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And he instructs Peter what to do and reestablish him. Our God is the God of second chances. He's still waiting on people today to come to him. He's still waiting on people today to return. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says this. I am confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is in control of his creation. Ultimately, he's going to bring about his will. But he wants to use us to do that. He wants us to be a part. And it doesn't matter if you've messed up or I've messed up. It doesn't matter if we'll come in repentance We can be restored. We can have the God of the second chance say, I can still use you. But if we're like the nation of Israel, where they say, no, that didn't make any sense to us. We'll keep doing what we're doing. Then judgment comes. We need to mark it down as much as I love my country, as much as I pray for my country. We're at a critical junction. If we don't repent, we won't be around. It makes me wonder what happens when you look at prophecy and you look in the future and America in no way is ever mentioned, not an eagle, not nothing that would represent our nation is is mentioned. So we fall at some point on the way. And if we, as God's people, don't repent and return and become watchmen on the wall and stand in the gap, 
then the future generations are children's children if Jesus waits that long. Or children's children's children are going to suffer for the sins of a nation that aborts over a million babies a year that is the biggest purveyor of pornography in the world. That has sex traffic abounding in the street corners of our cities. That drugs, which once to be looked down on, are now made legal. They call them infirmaries or pharmacies. Go pick up some. I could keep going. With that which used to be looked down upon, and they say they came out of the closet. They don't even walk the closet anymore. They proudly proclaim in the streets, on the corners, this is my right. God will accept me as I am, even though his word says he doesn't accept us as we are. He accepts us as we repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Does that mean I hate those folks or any folks? No. It means they need the gospel. It's up to us to give them the gospel. It means it's up to me to make sure that I've surrendered to the purposeful, divine dreamer. It means that I repent of my sins so that he can use me in any way he sees fit. And when I mess up, he can say, i got another purpose for you. Come here. Come home. So the invitation this morning is, do you need to come home? Do you need to come to Christ and accept Him as Lord and Savior? Do you need to surrender your lives anew in rededication? Do you need to come and join the church by baptism or letter or statement? Do you need to come and pray for others that you know are in dire straits? Whatever we need to do, the potter is spinning the wheel saying, Come on, come on. He's applying the gentle pressure. Surrender, surrender. See how beautiful I could make your life. Does that mean no troubles? No, but it means that we serve a risen Savior who is with us always. The lady who wrote the book, God Uses Crack Pots. I didn't mean crack pots. Cracked pots. He uses crack pots too, but he uses us. One of the things that true potters did was this. They, if they were known as an excellent potter, their pottery could stand the test of the sun. They would hold that pottery up and you could turn it any way and you could not see through it because some potters would put a little bit of dab here and a little bit of dab there, maybe some paint or something. But when you held it up to the light, you could see the cracks, the imperfections. The pottery was not good. It would not stand. It couldn't stand the test of the light. When we, the sun shines through, it shines through us, cracks and all. And people say, how can that be? Because God still uses us when we repent. Let's bow our heads and let's have a prayer. And then we'll have a hymn of invitation. You come as you need. There'll be a deacon over there in the Christian Fellowship Hall to greet those who need to talk. If you need to talk to me, you can find me after the service. Those that need to go here can come forward. Father, thank you that you're a divine potter and we're the clay in your hands. Father, make of us what you will and use us to glorify Jesus. Let us live lives worthy of being called your children. Let us live in a way that other people want what we have, which is Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. These things I pray in your name. Amen. Will you stand, please?
I will, Brother Gary. Father, we do thank you that you give us another opportunity to assemble in your house and to sing praises to you and to hear words from you through Brother Gary. Father, we pray that what we've done today would be to honor you and to glorify your name and to point others to the saving grace of Jesus. Father, we thank you for our church family that is understanding and, and uh, adapting and, Lord, doing things that they're not used to do just because they love each other and they love you. So, Father, you keep us safe. You take us from this place and bring us again, and we'll praise you for it. For in Christ's name I ask all things. Amen. 